Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. As the inaugural quarterly charity sector update, this first episode in the series introduces some of the many and varied opportunities and challenges facing the sector, including how the pandemic has fundamentally changed how charities operate. With Phil Attreed, Head of Investment Consulting, Nazreen Visram, Head of Charities for Barclays Corporate Bank, Robin Reynolds, Head of Charities for Barclays Wealth Management, and John Williamson, Charities Wealth Manager. The charity sector is very important to Barclays, and this episode will be the first of what will become a regular quarterly charity-focused edition, focused on the financial matters impacting the sector. I'm Phil Attree, Barclays Head of Investment Consulting, and with me today are Nazreen Bizram, Head of Charities for our Corporate Bank, Robin Reynolds, Head of Charities for our Wealth Management Business, and John Williamson, one of our charity-focused wealth managers. Welcome to the podcast, all. 2020 has brought enormous challenges for everyone the world over, and equally for companies and institutions as well. So let's get started with, you know, what are the key areas that you've seen charities having to deal with and focus on when it comes to their financial arrangements? Nazreen, maybe we'll start with you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on today's podcast. So I'm going to share a really interesting stat with you, which will kind of paint the picture of what charities are facing and will continue to face into 2021 and beyond. So an interesting stat I wanted to share was that 7 million people will seek support from charities over the next 12 months and three out of five of those will be for the first time. So what we're seeing at the moment is huge demand for services from charities coupled with a fall in funding as a result of COVID-19. So we're in almost this perfect storm. And so in terms of what charities really need to focus on, um, I like to describe in three words, and that's refocusing, reshaping and reimagining. So whilst it's a really challenging time for the sector, it's also a really good opportunity for them to think ahead. And and the areas that I like to focus on or or I I think that charities should focus on are firstly around operational resilience. and, And we know all of us have had to work from home, for example, move our operations in a different way. And and that's been critical for the charity sector, not just from their own sort of um, how they work from home, but also from service delivery. So we've seen charities really sort of leverage digital in terms of Zoom counselling sessions, use of Facebook. Uh, And this doesn't move away from the importance of face-to-face interaction, but, you know, use of technology does create scale and reach. We've also seen a real focus around communication And that's around leveraging community activism. So we've seen real communities come together during the COVID-19 pandemic, attracting new donors. So an interesting stat I also want to share is actually it was the 18 to 24 year olds that have donated more during lockdown. So the Gen Zs of the world. So how are charities communicating to that particular group? How are they leveraging that um, donation population and really ensuring that they continue to give? The second point I just want to make is around collaboration. So really pooling resources and thinking about collaboration in a different way with communities, with corporates. And just a a quick example on that really is around uh, NSPCC, who actually partnered with Deliveroo, which you probably wouldn't think is a normal collaboration. But what NSPCC are doing are actually training Deliveroo drivers to recognize signs of abuse. So 
it's a real opportunity to for charities to think outside the box and and really focus on key areas. I mean, this is all comes underpinned with financial resilience, right? So we've seen the detrimental impact of funding. Um, so some tough decisions for charities to make around their income. So that looks at diversifying income streams, commercial efficiencies, really refocusing the charity's activities and optimizing those programs. So there's a lot for charities to think about, but you know, with challenge, as I say, always comes opportunity. And Robin, John, uh, working with our wealth management clients, what, what have you been seeing? If I go first there, Phil, and thanks to, to inviting me on this as well, and, and hello, everybody. I think from our perspective, John's going to look at maybe the, the investment angle in, in a bit more detail in, in when, when he speaks in a second. But from my perspective, whenever you see significant volatility and change in any market, often it's a great opportunity just to step back and reassess, are we doing the right thing? And so we've been spending a lot of time focusing on a charity's investment policy. Now, that may be standard for some charities and, and others, just they're, they're just formulating their own policy at the moment. But it's a real opportunity to dig into what are the plans for the long-term reserves you know, what strategy do you have? Are there any capital expenditure programs on the horizon? And really dig into that and, and come away with a secure and sensible focus on the way forward. And, and for a lot of people, that's been quite a, a, a useful and, and powerful set of conversations to have. The other, the other point is I always like to have around any client, whether it be an individual or a, or a charity, a deal team that looks after them. And, and Nazarene's corporate bankers would be one side of that deal team. An auditor, a legal advisor, and a long-term investment manager would be probably four key parts of that. And it's charity boards who have had a lot to deal with in the last few months, really drawing upon all the skill set of the, of the deal team around them to help them shape what they need to do to get through this, but also then to build for the future. And John, turning to you. Yes, Phil. Well, it, we help a range of charities from national family foundations to trusts within the wealth team. But the commonality is that the strategies we deliver are to meet objectives over long-term 10-year time horizons for those long-term reserves. And that really means being sensible and staying invested. So during the recent lockdown-induced market volatility, I'm really pleased to say that our clients have been very steady. I think they trust in the way that our specialist charity portfolio managers deliver over time, and they understand that we have a, an investment process to protect from permanent loss of capital. So perspective has been key, uh, and charity representatives I work with understand staying invested as long as the charity's circumstances don't change significantly, is the right thing to do for those long-term reserves in order to um, protect and grow future spending power. But with regard to cash flow, understandably, charities are rather focused on near-term and immediate areas of their balance sheets and their services in 2020 because it's fair to say there's been significant uncertainty right across the private, public and charity sectors in this pandemic. And this has affected investment plans. 
So while our portfolio managers have done very well protecting and recovering capital values in 2020, it is the case, unfortunately, that income from even a good multi-asset portfolio will still be down around 20% year on year. So this is something we've been having to discuss with particularly income-seeking clients. And in terms of budgeting, I think it's reasonable to expect that those pre-pandemic investment income levels of 2019 will likely take at least two to three years to be achieved again. Some very real challenges that the sector continues to have to deal with. But in particular, what are our thoughts on, on the very obvious challenge faced by charities, particularly around funding in the current crisis environment? Nasreen, maybe if we turn to you first. Yes, I'm happy to share what we've been seeing. So quite right, funding is 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 the key challenge for charities and has been further accelerated by COVID-19. So I think it's estimated that around... £12.4 billion is the estimated, you know, sort of loss of income that's going to be faced across the charity sector. And that's because, you know, fundraising events have been curtailed. Investment income, which you've touched upon, has seen lots of uncertainty. Trading income. So those charities that have big shop portfolios have had to shut down several times now. uh, And all of that has impacted charities funding. So we've seen an increased demand in lending through the government schemes. So we've we've supported charities with um, the government schemes, but also through our traditional lending routes. Um, and we're still seeing that demand. Charities are looking to to borrow more, thinking about how to to meet this funding crisis through the through the different opportunities that they have. And I, I think that will continue uh, as a government has extended the government schemes, but also as charities start to prepare and build that financial resilience as they move forward. And again, just touching on the point that this is on the backdrop of increased demand for services. We've seen, as you say, you you mentioned earlier about the impact on public sector income. You know, some charities get grant funding, funding from local authorities. Obviously, they're they're also struggling. But we've also seen the recent decision from the government to reduce the aid budget. So that, that has an impact on our international charities as well. So really lots for charities to think about. We're sort of helping them navigate that as best we can. Um, but definitely seen an increased demand for lending over the past sort of six to eight months. Right. And, and Robin, some points from you, maybe? Yeah, thanks. I mean, as Nazreen touched on, we've seen many of the, the typical fundraising events cancelled. The London Marathon, I think, is, is, the, is the biggest event for all the charities around the UK to take some funds from. Their shops have been closed, as we know. But there have been pockets of private uh, individuals doing some wonderful things. I think the highlight for, for most of us would be Captain Sir Tom Moore raising a phenomenal amount of money in terms of his efforts. And we've seen a number of individuals who are very philanthropic set up their own personal or family charity foundations. So whilst we have seen a falling away of the major funding, we have seen a number of clients and many on this call who've contributed to, to donations throughout the course of 2020. But I think the, the bigger story is one of the corporate sector. And you know, you've seen a number of organizations realize that the third sector is vital to support. And companies such as Barclays, and I'll touch on our COVID fund in a second, have stepped in. And I think it's an area where whilst 2021 and 22, we hope the world gets back on its feet again, I don't think we can just close the door on those types of 
um, areas of support. The COVID fund that Barclays has created supported a number of areas, but the one that I'd like to highlight is that during the course of the summer, we requested applications for one of 100,000 donations to 100 different charities. That's quite a complicated thing to say, Phil. So it was a it was an amazing thing that allowed us to engage with the UK charity population and provide a vast range of support. So much so that we then increased that to 200 charities uh, more recently. So it's an excellent level of support, but we can't be the only people and we're not. And I think it's a call to arms for the corporate sector to continue to step forward throughout the course of 2021 and 22. Super. And I mean, earlier on, Nazreen touched upon the rollout of technology. And of course, digital and technology adoption has been a necessity, frankly, for all of us this year. How important has technology become for charities? I think technology is the key driver here, Phil, absolutely. So earlier this year, we saw the Charity Digital Skills Report published. It's an annual report and it's based on a survey amongst a certain number of charities. And it certainly showed that COVID-19 is driving digital change across the sector. So two thirds of the respondents are all delivering their work remotely, um, which is opening up new opportunities as as well as encouraging more collaboration. But also it showed that COVID-19 is a huge challenge to the sector. So not everything can be switched over to digital. And this could be due to skills and digital inclusion. Um, And one such example of that is the scouts who have, I think, 85% of their scout groups have moved online. And the reason it's not 100% is around sort of accessibility and inclusion and access to the internet and digital So that's still something that charities are grappling with. I think one of the stats that really surprised me was the number of charities with a digital strategy. So of those responded, 51% of those charities said that they didn't have a digital strategy. And that kind of surprised me. And I'm sure that's probably changed now, given the environment that we're in. I think charities really need to talk to their beneficiaries, their donors and supporters, which will help shape their strategy. And I think more importantly, they need to look at their kind of trustee skill set. So Boards need people who understand digital. And so having digital trustees is now more important than ever. Obviously, here at Barclays, we've been doing a lot to help charities with their digital strategy. We we ourselves are on that journey. So whether that's fundraising, whether that's online donations, whether that's trading and the use of contactless, for example, we've been working closely with our charity clients to really help shape some of that strategy and get them thinking about ways in which they can embed that in their, their organizations. Fantastic. And Robin? I think, you know, just picking up on the on the, the points that, that Nazreen's made there, you know, this year, I wondered how I was going to buy my poppy for the Remembrance Week. And so I went online and looked at the Royal Legion's website and you can make a donation and print your poppy out, which I did. And I think it's those types of ways of looking at the use of technology to help us evolve, I think are definitely the way forward. The challenge for charities, of course, is that innovation and technology are always inextricably linked, as is disruption, but innovation doesn't necessarily always need to be technology-driven. But the, the, the challenge they face, I think, is that it's often seen as a longer-term project where they've got to invest time and capital. And of course, that may be the balancing out of some of their shorter term goals where their, their shorter term purpose is also um, needing capital. So as Naz has said, I think that the, the digital board member 
is going to become an absolute focus to help grow and develop how charities fundraise and how they market themselves to the the, the donor base that they need to, to reach. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting development. And, and John, what have you been saying? Yes, well, I, I think it's absolutely fair to say that lockdown and isolation has accentuated the, the online need for charities. And speaking to them, our online telephone banking services have, have allowed a lot of signatories instant access to really global payments in multiple currencies from their reserve cash and from their credit facilities in a very secure manner. And many, many clients have said the Wealth Client Services payments team have been absolutely superb helping charities try to achieve some normality in terms of payments right through this period of restriction. And we've also got the online portal called Barclays One, which has been very useful for many clients, um, especially with some aspects of the traditional posty having been um, rather compromised of late. Because with Barclays One, online valuations, electronic statements, and detailed performance data are all to hand for the client instantly. Particularly challenging for a lot of clients and particularly useful for a lot of clients who've been having to go through a virtual audit over recent months. And a, a shout out, I would say, right across the UK are excellent wealth management executive teams. They are continuing to help clients to access these services and 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 where it's needed for the, um, shall we say, the, the less digitally inclined. They've been providing brilliant ongoing training and support. Brilliant. I mean, uh, you know, Nazarene's point earlier on about digital inclusion certainly resonates for me. And, and, you know, access to digital as well is certainly a challenge and maybe something that continues to be, you know, overlooked or even taken for granted in, in what is seemingly, you know, a modern digital age. Certainly some, some sort of further work to be done there and, and you know, hopefully uh, you know, improvements continue to come through. The final area that we'll look to cover off and, and one that's had an increasing focus on this podcast from an investment point of view this year, but the focus of investors on sustainability and impact of their investments. We know this has long been an important consideration for those in the charity sector. What, what are your views across the three of you? John, maybe if we start with you this time. Yes, well, I, I know that you, Phil, and Robin, as leaders within wealth, have been um, quite passionate about our engagement because responsible and sustainable investing is an increasingly important theme. The United Nations Sustainable Goals and Principles have been with us for over a decade now, and they form a, a good solid framework when it comes to investing in a positive ESG manner that's environmental, social, and corporate governance minded. And I think important to say that modern responsible investing, it is tangible, it is measurable, and it's therefore deliverable for our clients. And that's something that was never truly possible with what's called ethical investing, because ethics is so subjective and somewhat intangible. So what I would say is, while we don't run an ESG or sustainable fund for charities in wealth, what we do apply are stringent ESG filters in order to protect our client values and also because we believe ESG-focused companies can deliver better returns over the long term. Now, my apologies to my colleagues involved in this detailed process, 
if I don't describe it sufficiently, but essentially our charity portfolio managers will first negatively screen out tobacco, gambling, adult entertainment, and armament companies. Then they will apply positive environmental, social, and good governance analysis to our research findings. And that involves an independent to Barclays deep governance assessment. This is in order to help choose companies that are the best and lead their sectors. Now, studies show that a company with a consistent and high ESG score will benefit from higher cash flows through efficient use of resources and lower overall business risk through that better corporate governance standard and therefore can achieve higher valuations in the market. So quite simply, we want these better companies for our clients in a modern world economy where innovation, efficiency and sustainability are undoubtedly the direction of travel. And Robin, maybe turning to you. Yeah, Phil, thank you. I mean, John's oversight of the of the way our, our investment strategy is is focused is is very clear and it's very important to us. But I think the the ESG element is crucial for not it's not a short term situation. We need to be sustainable to on a number of fronts. But if we just refer back to Naz's point about the largest number of donors this year has been the 18 to 24 age group. They are the charity trustees of the future. They would expect sustainability to be uh, just a standard part rather than, or should you do it or shouldn't you? It would be expected as standard. We need to absolutely move as an organization, but as, as an industry towards those very important goals very quickly. One area that as an organization, as a steward of assets for clients, historically, we, we haven't been able to be active shareholders. When you hold investments with a portfolio manager, there's a, an expression that you hold it in a nominee company name. And that nominee company deals with the collection of dividends and corporate actions and all of the administration type of thing, allows for settlement of purchases and sales very quickly. So it's a very fluid way for a client to be able to hold investments. But of course, that nominee company historically has been passive. They just simply hold the stock. Moving forward, within Barclays, we're going to use a third-party company who will act on our behalf at shareholder voting. And if organisations haven't honoured their sustainability or environmental promises or expectations, or their corporate governance isn't where it should be, then we will be expecting to actively oppose in the vote at AGMs. And I think that's a really big step forward in terms of the market really showing organisations where we have our money invested that they need to play to the right to the right rules. And so there's a real focus on it, both how we invest, but also how we um, engage with companies moving forward. Fantastic. Great, sis, making that step forward. And, and Nazreen, just to finish with you. I think I echo um, John and Robin's points there. We've certainly seen more discussions with our charity clients around their ESG agenda. We've also had to spend more time demystifying some of the terminology. I think, John, you touched on you know ethical investing, sustainable investing, impact investing. Uh, and we, we did host an event last year, actually, demystifying some, some of that to help charities think about their own sort of investment strategy. 
Obviously, this year we've seen the impact of funding, as we've talked a lot about during this podcast. So, some of they've had to use some of their reserves in order to to meet the demand of their services and and to and to build that financial resilience. But certainly now, I think we we are definitely seeing more open discussions about this, working with yourselves and obviously our private banking colleagues. I think sustainability has been probably one of the positive stories this year. You know, we've seen the topic of green across all sectors, and it's certainly high high up on the government agenda as well. One thing we've also seen is um, the use of our green deposit product, which allows our clients to to deposit credit balances with us, knowing that their balances are going to be used for positive environmental impact. And we share a quarterly report with them to, to show how, and demonstrate how their funds are being used. And that allows them to then report that, whether that's on their annual report or at board level. So we've certainly seen more interest and demand for that product, which is great to see. I think the final point I want to make, or the couple of final points, I think Robin's point around donors is absolutely key. So we're now seeing you know, younger donors who are sort of lobbying charities and lobbying companies in general around their impact and their purpose. And so this will definitely rise amongst the charity sector, I believe. And also the impact of diversity and inclusion. So, you know, we've seen the the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement this year. Gender diversity has also been a topic of discussion, given how women have been disproportionately impacted over the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, this is one area that charities need to focus on and should be focusing on. And there's been a lot of talk and discussion around that because their boards don't naturally represent the communities they serve. And given charity's purpose, that is something they do definitely need to work on. So we've also been having those open discussions with our charity clients around the S part of ESG and and diversity has definitely been a key topic of discussion. Thanks, Nazarene. Some great insights there into the trends that are rightly coming into focus. We'll we'll look to wrap up this particular episode at that point. Thank you to each of our experts for joining me for this episode. And thank you, our listeners. Hopefully, there's some thought-provoking insights in there for you today. And as always, you can listen to our regular Friday podcast on the latest markets and investment thinking. We'll be back next year with some more insights for our charity partners. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.